0: Thank you, ladies. Again, I apologize for. Uh, it'd be a great thing if I'd make a an order of worship and and read it uh, as well. Now, where were we? How many of you enjoy coffee? Well, we've already done the coffee story. It's politicians now. So, uh, yeah, do you like politicians? Do you like preachers that lose their mind? So. Uh, it is the political season, and maybe it's having an effect on many of us in more ways than another. The issue of politics and politicians, I, I can I can tell you who you support as a politician by in normal times, maybe not now, but but most times and this may be a true a rule of thumb that's true across all areas, but The one you believe is the one that you support. The one that you believe. There is tremendous power in belief, but there is also tremendous power in unbelief. In what you don't believe, or if you refuse to believe something, It affects you. How you vote on November the 3rd, and I hope you vote, but much of that can be determined whether you believe the message of one politician or the message of the other. This morning in the Scripture, I want us to look at four failures of unbelief. We used to study through Matthew back before this thing happened in February and March of this year, but Matthew chapter 13 is filled with eight parables that are often called the kingdom parables, if you can remember back to our studying through there. And the first parable is foundational for all of the others. Basically, in Matthew 13 and verses 1 and following, Jesus gives the parable of the four soils. And of those four, out of the four soils, only 25%, only one soil was genuine fruit-bearing soil, fertile soil. But there was one soil that was referred to as stony ground. And I think we see that illustrated in the conclusion of the 13th chapter. Jesus has used these eight parables to show that disciples of Christ, people in the kingdom of God should expect rejection. They should expect unbelief. They should expect that maybe here and there some will believe if the good soil is only 25% of all soils, then maybe... Here and there, some will believe. So, he comes to the end of this chapter. It wasn't a chapter at that time, but Matthew gives us, in Matthew 13, verses 53 to 58, a picture of one of those types of soil. I believe it's the stony ground soil. So read with me in the Word of God, Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 53. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that He departed from there and when He had come to His own country, that is Nazareth, when He had come to His own country, He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, "'A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house.'" Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is our Lord's second visit to his hometown after the beginning of his public ministry. Second visit to Nazareth. He'd been there about a year earlier. And at that time, if you remember, when Jesus was in Nazareth... They were so offended at what He did and what He said that they were about to throw Him off a cliff. Or they wanted to kill Him. They were upset that He had claimed to be the Messiah. Instead of accepting the gift of God, instead of believing, they, they denied Him. They rejected Him. They weren't interested in His message. They wanted nothing to do with it. And now you compare that to this second visit. At the conclusion of all of these kingdom parables, Jesus now enters into His hometown of Nazareth. He's taught them about rejection. He's taught them about how how that not many will follow. There He may be illustrating one of the soils of the four soils. The stony heart. But can you imagine, Jesus, as was His custom, went into the synagogue. After the reading of the Scripture, He sat down and began to teach them or instruct them. How did Jesus teach? You thought about that? Wouldn't you have loved to to have a a cassette tape of that or an audio file of, of Jesus teaching? The Bible tells us how Jesus taught. If you read in the scripture, you'll see that he taught as one that had authority. Matthew 7, 28-29 says that when Jesus had ended these sayings, the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. So how did Jesus teach? He taught with authority. Folks, authority doesn't mean shouting. Some folks think the delivery determines the authenticity of a message. That's not so. But Jesus did teach with authority. He taught with knowledge. In John chapter 7 and verse 15, it says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? In other words, he didn't have a formal education. How did He know these things? Jesus taught with authority. He taught with knowledge. He taught with grace. When He spoke, His words dripped with compassion, dripped with kindness. Grace, Luke 4 and verse 22, all bore witness to Him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. And again, they said, Is not this Joseph's son? How did Jesus teach? He taught as one that had authority, knowledge, grace. He taught with power. He taught with power. Luke 4 and verse 32 says, And they were astonished at His teaching, for His word was with authority. Or it could be translated power. Jesus taught with power. Not just empty words, not philosophical drivel. Jesus taught with power and He taught with uniqueness. What, the words that He said, the teaching was unique. John 7 in verse 46 says that the officers answered and said, Never a man spoke like this. What He had to say was unique. And so the Lord Jesus taught this way. And, and no doubt here in John, uh, Matthew 13, when He was in the synagogue... That, that Jesus, it says, verse 54, notice this, and they were astonished. Astonished. It's a word that means to, uh, to be struck with admiration. To be amazed. They were amazed at Jesus' teaching. What kind of teaching was it? With authority, with power, with grace, with uniqueness. But they were astonished. And yet, drop down to verse 58 of Matthew 13. They were astonished. They were amazed at His teaching. But they did not believe. Let me make a very important point this morning that's kind of an aside. Maybe not the central point of this message. But it is is possible for a person to be impressed with a speaker, a teacher, a preacher's message, to be impressed and yet not believe. And I'm not just referring to believe unto salvation, not take in the principles. We've we've been so messed up on this through the years that we make preaching about a personality rather than about the message of Jesus Christ. So we see these that were amazed or astonished at his teaching and yet they didn't believe. It's also possible to not be impressed with the eloquence or lack of eloquence of a teacher or preacher and still believe because why? The power is in the message not the messenger. And that doesn't mean we don't prepare and we don't do everything necessary to to present the message as best we can. But what I want us to see in these verses, 53 to 58 this morning, is the devastating effect of unbelief. Certainly these to whom this passage is making reference to are unbelievers as it relates to salvation, those who were not saved. But can I tell you, dear Christian, brother or sister in Christ, that we struggle with unbelief too often, don't we? Remember the disciples praying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And there are effects to our unbelief. Some of these same failures that I'll mention this morning are true in our lives when we fail to take Him at His Word. What is belief? What is faith? What is trust? It's taking God at His Word, taking Christ at His Word. So let's look at these failures of these that were there in Nazareth as Jesus entered into the synagogue and no doubt read from the scroll, no doubt sat down and taught them. Yet what did they do? Well, here are the failures of unbelief. Number one, unbelief fails to see the obvious. Unbelief fails to see the obvious. Notice verse 54, when He taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished, amazed. And then they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now, believer, can I ask you a question this morning? Where did He get this mighty power? Because he was God. It's obvious. It's obvious. Their their question is, is an unbelieving question. From where has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Was it not obvious? By the way, this is one of the great defenses of the deity of Christ. These are not his disciples asking this question. These are not his friends asking these questions. These are His enemies. These are unbelievers that are asking this question. They're not denying the deity of Christ. They say He does what? He has wisdom and He does mighty works. Folks, that is a declaration that Jesus was not an ordinary man that's a declaration that and it's an obvious statement that he did what he did if you go back remember nicodemus john chapter 3 nicodemus came by night to the lord jesus and what did nicodemus ask we know you're a teacher come from god because no man no man could do these things nicodemus recognized that he was come from god but not these why because unbelief fails to see the obvious. Jesus had banished disease from the land of Palestine. He had opened His mouth and taught profoundly every conceivable subject related to life and death, to heaven and eternity, to time, to hell. And over and over in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, My works and my words are sufficient to prove to you who I am. The issue was not a lack of evidence. The issue was what? Unbelief. They would not believe. They would not take Him at His word. Folks, unbelief causes us to fail to see the obvious. Where did he get this wisdom? You probably want to know, what, what rabbinical, rabbinical training school did you go to, teacher? You're not a rabbi. It's, it's, we, you know, we've heard that. What, what seminary did you go to, preacher? What college did you go to? Where are you, who do you think you are to say these things? Maybe they knew where it came from and they just denied that, they, that it was God. You see, unbelief fails to see the obvious. Secondly, the failures of unbelief. Not only does it fail to see the obvious, but unbelief fails to hear the relevant. Look at verses 55 and 56. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man Get all these things. Now, what's wrong with that? Are they want to know a genealogy of Jesus. Not really. They they recognize his brothers, half brothers, that he had sisters. And the Catholic Church teaches that that Mary had perpetual virginity, and so you know, I, I don't know how they get by that. But anyway, uh, here they, they're saying there's no way that. This one who's a brother to James and and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters. There's no way. But what's the problem with that question? Well, In a court of law, here's what an objecting attorney might say. Irrelevancy. It's not relevant. What about Him? What about Jesus? What about the message that He's proclaimed? What about Jesus? We see how that works a lot of times when we're sharing Christ with someone or talking to them about being saved. And we might invite them to church and uh, to to come and to hear a gospel message or to come and watch a a gospel presentation, be it a movie or something, that we do that. And, and, And what are the things that often an unbeliever will come up with? You know, they're not very friendly down there. But what about the message? You know, that woman that sat in front of me had on the stink in his perfume. What about the message? You know, those kids were so unruly. But what about the message? We, when, you unbel- when you're not a believer, when you refuse to take Him at His word, what, what happens? We'll focus on the irrelevant. That may be happening this morning. That may be happening as you go. Well, I don't like it there. That that that, that preacher's too fat. That 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 preacher's too loud. Or or or, uh, and I've heard this before. He sure does murder the Queen's English. <laughs> you, know, you know. What about the message? What about that which is relevant? Unbelief will cause you to fail to see and hear the relevant message. They couldn't hear Jesus. They couldn't comprehend His message because they were focusing on irrelevant things. May I stress this morning that the the relevant fact before us is that Jesus Christ is the crucified, buried, and resurrected Savior what about Him? What about Him in your life? Don't give me this about, well, I wasn't comfortable. It was too hot, too cold. Too, the, the pew was too hard, too soft. Those are irrelevant factors. What about Jesus? Unbelief will cause you to fail to see the obvious, to fail to hear the relevant. You'll focus on the irrelevant. Some smokescreen, and then do away with the relevant truth. Jesus is the Messiah. Do you remember in Matthew, well, we'll get there in Matthew chapter 16 one day, in studying Matthew's gospel. Do you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Matthew 16. And they offered some answers. Some of them say that you're Elijah, some say John the Baptist, others maybe one of the other prophets. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus, excuse me, uh, Simon Peter responded to Jesus and said, you are the Christ. Praise the Lord, he got beyond the irrelevant and spoke to the relevance of the question. You are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus commended him for that and said, you are blessed for that where does this man where then does this man get all these things they asked the right question but they focused on the irrelevant matters what are you focusing upon this morning as we gather to worship as you hear this word relevant matters the lord jesus christ the word of god are you believing trusting in him taking him at his word or are you more concerned with irrelevant matters the third Failure of unbelief is that unbelief fails to comprehend the truth. Unbelief causes you not to comprehend, to accept the truth. Look at verse 57. So they were offended at Him. The word offended in the Greek language is what we get our word scandal Scandalizo is the Greek word. And it's our word scandal or scandalized. They literally, the picture here is they put up a wall. They were offended at Christ. They stumbled at Christ. Paul spoke about that inspired by the Spirit of God and wrote to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul said, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks. He's the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified, but to the Jews, they stumble at that. They stumble at that. They're offended at that. Unbelief, not taking God at His word, will cause you not to see the truth. Now, we'll we'll get there. Some of this may sound a little bit conflicting, but in just a moment I want you to see that it's, it's not lack of evidence that caused them to be unbelievers. It's something else. Jesus offers this thought in verse 57 to them. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. What was Jesus saying to that? Well, He said, He said, hey, I'm fulfilling a proverb right here. He's essentially saying that that all the experts have to be from out of town. Or here, John MacArthur offers this. It's a great, this is a, here's the modern day equivalent to this familiarity breeds contempt. That's what Jesus was saying. Because you're familiar with me, because I grew up in Nazareth, you saw me, that you won't hear my message you conclude that there's no way I'm the Messiah, no way I'm the Savior. Familiarity does breed contempt, hatred, does it not? I fear that sometimes, and particularly when we, in the Bible Belt of the South, there's a church on every corner, most towns have a gospel preaching church. And and then, Folks are so familiar with it, you ask the man on the street, do you know the gospel? And many of them can say, yeah, Jesus died for sin and was buried and rose again the third day. And they're so familiar with it that their life is contemptuous toward it. Jesus says that you're offended, you've put up a wall. You fail to see the obvious. You fail to hear the relevant. You fail to comprehend the truth. Your eyes have been blinded to the truth because you will not believe. Look at the fourth failure, verse 58. What does unbelief do? Well, it causes you to fail to allow the supernatural, to allow the miraculous. Verse 58 says, Now He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Notice the word many, which tells us that apparently He did some. I would think that would be indicative of that. But He didn't do much there because of their unbelief. Simply stated, because they refused to believe, Jesus took His ministry elsewhere. They had heard about what He could do. And, and we know that Jesus exercised miracles at different under different circumstances from time to time. Sometimes there were those who believed. They trusted Him. They took Him at His word, and He did a miracle on their behalf. But there were other times, there are examples where they didn't believe, and yet Jesus, I mean, He raised a dead child. Did that child have faith? (laughs) No. Maybe you say, well, He did it for Jairus. But did that one happen? Uh, He he healed when there was no faith. There were times that He acted in response to faith. So we can say that He acted sovereignly in these matters, whether it was with faith or without, in terms of His dealing with people, in terms of healing and and, and miracles. And faith is not necessary in the Gospels uh, to see the Lord work. He does as He sovereignly chooses but this particular text, verse 58, makes it clear that He didn't there, why? Because of their unbelief. Their failure to believe caused them not to see the miracles and the work of Christ. i would tell you, that's true in our day. That's true in our age. That's true in Belmont, Mississippi. That because folks don't believe. You know, there are a lot of people that are running around and saying, I just want the Lord to do a miracle on my behalf. I had a a person once that got bitter toward the Lord, literally, and confessed that bitterness because their mother died and they fully expected the Lord to raise them out of the casket. There may have been some other problems going on in that individual's life, but they were bitter toward the Lord. Unbelievers running around saying, God's got to do what I want in order for me to believe. And God's Word makes it clear, you've got to believe it, my friend, before you'll see it. Some say, let me see it and then I'll believe. That's not the way He operates. He could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. I take a, a, an interpretation of this, and I hope it's not a twisted one, but a, or an application maybe I should say. I fear that sometimes we don't see a lot going on in the Lord's church because we won't trust Him. Believers. Maybe it's time we pray, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. So what about unbelief? Was the issue lack of evidence? Well, we know that's not so, but let me let me ask you to, to turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We've already mentioned the conversation with Nicodemus, and it's possible this is the end of that conversation. But John chapter 3, we know verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Believers. Second part of verse 18, But he who does not believe, unbelievers, is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Here's why. That the light has come into the world. What is the light? The Lord Jesus Christ. The light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Why do men not believe? Because they, their deeds are evil. They love evil. Now that may give you hope to think that, well, I'm not an evil person. But folks, all sin is evil. It's vile in the sight of God. It's illness. It'll take you to hell. All sin... And so if you've not seen the light, and I mean by that the Lord Jesus Christ, can you see light? <laughs> yes. But they love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Darkness covers their evil deeds. And what Jesus is saying in John chapter 3 is that they are condemned because they love darkness rather than light. And their deeds were evil. Do you know why these didn't believe? Because their deeds were evil. Because of sin. Unbelievers. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you an unbeliever? Are you an unbeliever? The evidence for Christ is before you. The problem is not the lack of evidence. You take God at His word. You believe and you'll see it. You'll trust Him. He'll transform If you don't believe, you'll not see the obvious. Don't fail to see the obvious. Don't fail to hear the relevant message. Don't fail to comprehend the truth of Christ. And don't fail to allow God to act supernaturally, miraculously, to transform your life. There are failures and many more of unbelief. But in this passage, we see them lined up for us clearly. The evidence is clear. Jesus is who He says He is. Jesus did what the Word of God describes for us when He died in our place on the cross of Calvary and He paid for our sin fully. Do you believe? Now, I know uh, some... Just say, well, yeah, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe that you... No, friend, when I'm saying do you believe, I'm saying do you trust Him? Do you realize that you have no hope for heaven apart from Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to do it yourself? Are you thinking you're good enough? Are you thinking that it's all upon you and that if you join this church or you, you get baptized or you take the Lord's Supper or you, you live a good life that you'll make it into heaven? That's not what the Scripture says. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you relying upon Him? Or are you an unbeliever? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. and, Lord, how we rejoice to know that there was a time, a day, when we believed that Jesus died in our place and He paid for our sin personally. And He was buried and raised for our justification that we might be made right with You. Thank You for that grace that would take Christ to the cross and out of the grave and to heaven's throne now to intercede for us. Thank You that He's a living Savior. Father, we pray for unbelievers today. We pray that they might hear the truth and not be distracted by irrelevant things. Not be blinded to the truth. Not miss out on your miraculous work in their life. Transforming a sinner into a saint is a miracle, Lord. Making us right with you is a miracle. That's the miracle we need to see, first and foremost, in our lives. May we believe you, take you at your word. I pray for those who are lost, unbelievers, that they would be saved today. I pray for saints, Lord, that we would say, Lord, we believe but in those areas where we are struggling, help our unbelief that we might see mighty works done by You. We thank You and we praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.